Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels. Our guest this episode, we have Matt Klug, MK Fishing Guide Service. You find him online there. Uh, Matt guides fishing year-round in the you know St. Cloud to Alexandria area. He spends a lot of time on Mille Lacs, especially in the summertime. Uh, you know, Matt, uh, you know, it's the first time having him on, so it's really enjoyable to find out you know where he's from and where he you know started his fishing career but Matt's been guiding full time now for for a handful of years doing a good job we've done some projects with him uh, with Jason Mitchell Outdoors Television you can find some of that stuff online or on YouTube go over to the YouTube channel Jason Mitchell Outdoors uh, and, and and find some of the stuff we've done with Matt again MK Fishing Guide Service um, but uh, for this episode I really just want to highlight the area that Matt guides in you know, when you look at that that sort of swath of Minnesota from St. Cloud up to Alexandria and that surrounding area, there's a lot of lakes there, and it doesn't really get talked about a whole bunch. Uh, you know, the industry doesn't really highlight that area a whole bunch, especially in the wintertime, I should say, the, you know, clarify, the, the wintertime. But there's a lot of great fishing to be had there, and I think that, you know, for me, it's really interesting getting to know Matt uh, through the industry the last couple of years, uh, but Matt and other guides like Matt in an area like that, uh, where it's really diverse, there's a lot of lakes uh, that offer a lot. It's multi-species deal. Uh, every lake sets up totally different. There's a lot of smaller, quieter lakes that really fish, um, you know, a lot like the lakes that we talk about in Ottertail County or Becker County, you know, to the north of there. And there's also some more popular lakes there and you look at the proximity to the Twin Cities there's a lot of lakes in that area that Matt guides in that really fish a lot like metro lakes you know there's you know higher pressure um, but but there's a lot to offer there and I find guys like Matt really interesting and in how they make a living guiding in an area like that where they really got to be you know diverse multifaceted they really got to build up a lot of skills and the things that Matt has done, you know, angling-wise, fishing-wise, the skills that he's built as a fishing guide to give him, you know, sort of the skills and abilities to offer that to people in that area where, you know, one day or one morning you might be, you know, you might be drilling holes, chasing basin crappies, and then in the evening you're on a totally different lake that sets up totally different and you're trying to drill out, you know, the spot on the spot so that you can sit and wait for a walleye to come. Um, you know, and just knowing all that stuff about all those lakes. So we talk about that, we really get into a lot of great fishing conversation, um, you know, and just great perspective, figuring out how to break down water. You know, we definitely talk about early ice sets the time of year right now. So it's, uh, you know, early ice, uh, some of the good opportunities in that area, early ice. Uh, so yeah, we touch on a lot of things, but it's really fun to have Matt and get to know Matt Klug for the first time here on the podcast and highlight a really cool area that doesn't get talked about very much, especially in the wintertime. So let's do it, man. We've got Matt Klug, MK Fishing Guide Service. Let's do it. If you want to enjoy all the abundant hunting and fishing opportunities that Northeastern South Dakota has to offer, there's no better place to stay than Roy Lake State Park. Come shoot your limit of birds, then hit the lake and catch you a limit of walleyes all in a day. Roy Lake State Park provides both modern cabins and suites with all the comforts of home at a reasonable price. Go to GoOutdoorsSouthDakota.com to reserve your fall hunting and fishing destination. That link is in the description of this podcast. 
This episode of the JMO Podcast is brought to you by Shields. Shields is your one-stop shop retailer for all your outdoor needs with over 30 locations across the United States. Every single department is full of the best brands on inventory and a knowledgeable staff to give you great service, including the fishing department. For more information or to find a store near you, head to the link in the description of this podcast. That's shields.com. And if you don't find a location near you, rest assured, all their best deals are online as well. So the only thing left to do is to go check them out. Link is in the description of this podcast. If you have any fishing memory or a fish that you would like to commemorate with a replica, or you have questions about getting fish replicas done, reach out to Jamie Rizavi from Rizavi Taxidermy Studio in New Rockford, North Dakota. Jamie and his crew do next level work here at the JMO headquarters. We are blessed to have so many replicas made by Jamie. Reach out. You can find them on social media or online at RizaviTaxidermyStudio.com. The link is in the description of this podcast. Getting to know you. I want to know sort of your origin story. Where are you from? Where did you cut your teeth in fishing? What is sort of the personal side of your fishing story? Like, you know, how you were introduced, who some of your mentors were, what your home bodies of water growing up. I want to know what some of your major influences were early on that have sort of been those core building blocks to get you ultimately to where you are, where you are today, which is what we'll talk about. But go back to the beginning, man. Tell me about yourself. Um, well, so I'm Matt Klug. I, I was born in uh, Little Falls, I guess, at the hospital there and lived around Uppsala till I was a few years old. And then I've pretty much been in the St. Cloud area for the rest of my life. I live in Sauk Rapids now. Um, but, you know, starting out, uh, it was it was my grandpa. You know, we fished all the time. I mean, if we weren't if we weren't fishing, we were cutting grass. And if we weren't cutting grass, we were fishing. There was really nothing else that we did. Um, I spent most of my summers there, most of my free time, um, you know, and we fished mostly panfish out uh, around Gray Eagle, Upsala area. You know, a lot of bluegills, a lot of bluegills. And I mean, I think I think back to all the big bluegills that we cut up when I was a kid because, you know, we didn't have a clue. Um we didn't know that, you know, throwing back big bluegills was important, but, um, yeah, just catching bluegills, you know, bass fishing, I'd watch on TV. And finally I'm like, you know what, grandpa, I want to bass fish. So we would sit anchored in one spot and I would chuck out a Texas rig over and over and over and over. And I would start catching bass and it was exciting because it wasn't a bluegill. So, um, you know, then kind of going a little bit farther forward, uh, when I was living at my parents' place in St. Joe, uh, we had a neighbor, Jeff, uh, one of my, probably my biggest influence, you know, from the teens on, uh, to keep me into fishing because we would fish all the time. I mean, I, he let me come and take his boat. Um, you know, I'm a 16 year old kid that lives across the street and he's like, yeah, just come grab my boat when you want to. Um, so we got pretty close and we started fishing some leagues together and, you know, bass tournaments. That was kind of a big part of my I don't want to say childhood, but my young adult years. Then uh, from there, I spent a year or so overseas, and I decided when I came back, I was going to go to school. So I went to school to be a machinist, did the machining thing for a while, um, but I really started fishing a lot more in college because I wasn't 
you know, I didn't have to have a job because of the GI bill and stuff. I was making enough money. So during the summers, I fished every single day. And then I started helping with some veterans events. And next thing you know, I'm like, you know, maybe I could uh, guide part-time. So yeah, it was kind of a interesting process. Tell me about like, you know, what that transition was like and getting into this whole career and lifestyle of a fishing guide in Minnesota in this part of the world. Like, is yeah. it, has it been what you thought it was? Like, tell me about that. For sure. Um, so I would say the biggest thing is, is this isn't a destination area. I'm not going to call it that. You know, I do plenty of guiding on Mille Lacs. Obviously, that's a destination. But as far as around central Minnesota, St. Cloud, you know, even out to Alexandria, you know, this necessarily is not a destination, but I get a lot of trips, you know, locally and around here. Um, but so you kind of have to branch out a little bit more. Um, you know, when you, when you only guide on say rainy Lake or devil's Lake or one of these big destination bodies of water, yeah, you know, people are coming there to specifically to fish. You know, we don't have a lot of resorts and stuff on our lakes, so it's just a little bit different. Um, and then, it, which had kind of forced me to be versatile in the sense that I might do a trip on Osakis one day, and then the next morning I'm on Malax. You know, I'm kind of all over the place. You know, obviously I try to line everything up so I'm not driving back and forth all the time, but, you know, you, I've had to stay diverse to get busy because, you know, becoming a fishing guide, it's not a... You know, you snap your fingers and say, hey, I'm a fishing guide. I got a Facebook page and all of a sudden you're busy because it's not that's not the case. Yeah, um, dude. Yeah, I, I think that that is interesting. I really like I like that you bring it up that way. And I kind of want to dig into that a little bit because I feel like I feel like the personal stories and like you going through it is interesting for you as a person. But from a fishing standpoint, it really matures you and builds skills you know like you said diversely um yeah multi-species i i like the idea of you know talking about that from that part of the world you know the the diversity in the lakes like tell me a little bit about that start telling me the stories uh you know uh, uh for you or you know that have been interesting to you as far as that goes like really um you know building your skills being diverse and what that really means to you yeah definitely um, I would say I'm actually really fortunate that I, I kind of guide the way I do because there's a lot of people there. I don't want to say they're stuck on one body of water because they're on phenomenal bodies of water, but I love being able to go do different things. You know, I might be largemouth fishing on a little lake right by St. Cloud. And then the next day I'm fishing a different lake nearby for walleyes. Um, so you, you really have to kind of you can't just focus on one species unless that's going to be your thing. Right. But I get a lot of people that they want to learn something like maybe they just, they got kids and they want to learn how to bass fish just so they can actually catch fish or they want to learn how to use live scope or they want to learn how to use their side imaging or whatever. Um, I do a lot of educational trips, not as many, just we're going out to catch limits and take fish home. It's more of an educational and fun experience. I would say over 80% of my trips, we don't even keep fish. Um, That's an interesting statistic. Do you feel like in your, in your career or, you know, like for however long you've been doing this, like, 
Like, like, what do you, what, what do you feel like really attributes that you attribute that to? I mean, cause you know, a lot of angling, you know, especially you talk about traditional or, you know, if you go back in time a little bit, um, with a little less information and more old school mentality, like fishing, um, you know, a, a different time economically as well, um, you know, fishing, you know, nobody had time to go fishing if they weren't going to be keeping right. fish. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think for me, um, so I've been doing this full time. It was five years in July, um, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, but then I did it for two years part time before that. So I haven't been doing it all that long. Um, but I would say when I started, it's not much different than it is now, but I think it's more the type of people that reach out to me, you know, because this is not an area where like, Oh, we're going to go here and catch limits of nine inch bluegills. You know, it's just not the case. Right. So most of the people that are fishing around here either want to fish it for a reason, like they're, you know, they have a cabin there or they actually want to learn something, not just, they're not doing it just for the fish all the time. So, you know, for you in the spirit of like the early ice and you think about that area, what are some of the topics, what are some of the things, you know, that you're thinking about or that are really early ice oriented, um, you know, in your area, just where where you go to look to find some of the first bites, what are, you know, what are some of the lakes, you know, how do they set up? What do they look like? You know, what, what are some of the early ice opportunities in general looking like in your area? Well, so I would say that right now we probably have two if not maybe three lakes that there's probably already people on. I know one of them, there was people walking on a couple of days ago. Um, you know, I haven't been out yet. I've been, I'm still trying to kill a deer. So I've been busy with that, but I've been keeping my eye on the ice and I, I am seeing some people on some of our shallow lakes. We have some lakes that interestingly will have ice extremely early. Um, and then there's some lakes around here that won't have ice for, you know, up to two weeks later. You know, we have some lakes that are wide open right now, um, just depending on the wind and, you know, how deep the lakes are, but we'll have ice on probably most of them in the next week, if not, you know, sooner, you know, we, we've got some cool nights coming up, but, you know, definitely want to be careful this time of year. I, I'm, as I get older, I don't go out quite as soon. You know, I used to go out on an inch and a half ice and now I'm like, well, let's just wait till three. So, yeah, you know, I just, I don't need to fall in that bad. I've fell in, fell in a couple of times and it's a good learning experience. Are there some good early ice bites? I mean, we're not even talking necessarily species yet. It's it, right. You're definitely from a place where it's almost, um, you know, maybe almost a little bit assumed that it's, you know, a panfish conversation. I'm not going to assume you know, anything, you know, anything that you want to talk about is good, but like, you know, the early ice, you know, first ice, like for you, what are you thinking about? I mean, as far well, as guiding, is it a panfish deal? Is it, you know, just, just you go out on a lake and just figure out what's going on? Like, like how do the, your first few trips typically go? You know, so my, my trips don't generally start until, uh, probably almost December, just a little bit into December, just because, I don't ever know when I have, I, I have ice coming. 
So I try not to book anything before mid-December. And even those are kind of like, all right, we're going to see how the ice is and go from there. But generally speaking, my trips are pretty much all pan fish in the winter. And mainly because like, we have some great walleye bites around here. We really do. But most of them, you get an hour at sunrise and an hour at sunset, and that's it. There's basically nothing midday. So you take somebody out and you set up on a spot and now it's dark and the fish came through and they didn't bite. And it's like, well, sorry guys, or we didn't catch anything today. So I just, I couldn't do that. Um, so we pretty much stick to panfish. but as far as just fishing in this area, I'd say our early, early ice bites, the walleye bites are really good. Um, we have some lakes that have surprising walleye numbers in them and some really big walleyes in there. And I know some guys that go out early ice and they just absolutely smash on them. So you can't overlook areas like this that are kind of metro-ish. You know, I mean, we've got a lot of traffic, but we still have a lot of good walleye fishing. Most of the lakes in your area probably aren't big enough that we should be naming them. Um, right. But yep. that's really not that's really not what I'm interested in any way, shape or form. But I, sure. I just like hearing the stories of like, you know, the, the details, you know, of like, you know, how lakes set up, what, what the, you know, you feel like the patterns that are, you know, structure oriented or, you know, the basin patterns, you know, just kind of walk me through, you know, uh, sort of your strategy for breaking down water on some of the, the early ice bites, whatever species. I mean, you can sort of pick the, you know, the, the scenario and just sort of break it down and, and some of these elements that sort of matter to you when you're, you know, thinking about, you know, breaking down some of these early ice bites, man. Break it down for me a little bit. For, for sure. So um, being we have so many diverse types of lakes, the bites can be dramatically different. Um, you know, on one lake, Early ice, I might be fishing in six, eight feet of water for bluegills. Um, but then on another lake, I might be out in 40 feet of water chasing crappies in the basin still. Um, so it, it kind of depends on the lake. And there's no there's no secret sauce, right? Like you kind of just have to go out there and put the work in. But some general areas, like I'm always, I'm on the water until ice up basically so i'm always watching on my electronics even if i don't fish for these fish that i see i'm still watching and paying attention to where i'm seeing fish in the fall so that way early ice i can at least have a general area to start looking because a lot of times these fish will you know especially crappies they're going to stage uh either out on outside the weed lines or out into the basin long before the ice comes so those fish are pretty easy to find you know, between electronics in the boat and then live scope on the ice. But the weed fish, you kind of have to just find those weed beds and you just got to fish them, especially early ice. You know, you can't just be drilling and drilling and drilling and expect to catch a bunch of fish in six feet of water. You know, you kind of have to set up and, and wait for them just because the, the thin ice and no snow cover, the fish are really spooky. So even in 30 feet of water, you might might be spooking fish. So... You kind of have to change things a little bit early ice compared to later in the, in the winter when we have some snow cover and thicker ice and the fish just aren't as skittish. So look for those green weeds, you know, always try to get out in the fall and check out the lakes you want to fish and just look for fish and look for structure, you know, whether it be weeds or maybe you find some rock piles that you want to fish walleyes on in the winter, but try to do all your scouting 
you know, in the summer or fall, preferably, you know, late fall or early spring before all the weeds are grown. Cause then you can see those hard spots on the bottom. You can see those rock piles, but now I'm kind of getting in the weeds. This episode of the JMO podcast is brought to you by Shields. Shields is your one-stop shop retailer for all your outdoor needs with over 30 locations across the United States. Every single department is full of the best brands on inventory and a knowledgeable staff to give you great service, including the fishing department. For more information or to find a store near you, head to the link in the description of this podcast. That's shields.com. And if you don't find a location near you, rest assured, all their best deals are online as well. So the only thing left to do is to go check them out. Link is in the description of this podcast. If you have any fishing memory or fish that you would like to commemorate with a replica, or you have questions about getting fish replicas done, reach out to Jamie Rizavi from Rizavi Taxidermy Studio in New Rockford, North Dakota. Jamie and his crew do next level work here at the JMO headquarters. We are blessed to have so many replicas made by Jamie. Reach out. You can find them on social media or online at RizaviTaxidermyStudio.com. The link is in the description of this podcast. If you want to enjoy all the abundant hunting and fishing opportunities that Northeastern South Dakota has to offer, there's no better place to stay than Roy Lake State Park. Come shoot your limit of birds, then hit the lake and catch you a limit of walleyes all in a day. Roy Lake State Park provides both modern cabins and suites with all the comforts of home at a reasonable price. Go to GoOutdoorsSouthDakota.com to reserve your fall hunting and fishing destination. That link is in the description of this podcast. I love it. I love that stuff because, and I've had really in-depth conversations in the past before that I just, I, I find that fall scouting in the boat to be so helpful, especially if you have like a home body of water, like, Definitely. like, 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 right. like it, it's, it's tougher when you're at like some destination, like one, once upon a time, you might find a rock pile out on Lake of the Woods on a summer trip and then go back and hit that waypoint, you know, three years later in ice fishing. That's it's so point. hit or miss. But, like, this is definitely something that can be huge for somebody with a home body of water that they Absolutely. fish what they fish regularly. They, they're going to fish it in the summer multiple times. They're going to ice fish it. Maybe it's a hard-sided shack. But, like, your, your, your chances of finding those sweet spots, I absolutely – I mean, I, I'm proof of this is, like – I've learned this from the industry and people that I've met in the industry. So I love those types of conversations. You can go forever uh, on this. I'll just go get a cup of coffee and hang out like, <laughs> and come back later and listen to it. You can go on forever on that conversation. I love that. But like, you know, um, you know, uh, one thing that you said there that I find interesting about early ice, and it's not everywhere, but I think it's a great lesson learned that anybody – should be thinking about you know when you're talking about perspective the big picture like no snow cover or little snow cover thin ice uh, spooking fish well you know mm-hmm. forward sonar is teaching us all so much whether you have it or not we're learning so much about spooking fish absolutely but, but for you you know uh, uh, you know 
how much of that is a balance of changing techniques or just changing maybe your approach? And and I want to talk about some of those things or maybe some recommendations, things that you've tried that you feel like maybe helped you on some of these early ice bites versus on the other side of things, how much is it just, we just need to be better at, at setting our expectations properly. It's more of a mental thing. That's exactly it right there. So first off, I, you always have to manage expectation guiding period, right? Um, you don't want to, you know, over promise and under deliver. Um, but you also don't want to, you know, completely under promise either. But the, another reason I don't start guiding as early as some is because of that right there. And I mean, for one, there's just, there's, it's like I said, it's not a destination. So I don't get that many calls early in the season, but Early on, you you have to be realistic. I have never, I shouldn't say never, I have had very few of my best days early ice, period. I mean, late ice is, is significantly better. I think the best part about early ice is the excitement of it, you know, right? Like For we're, sure. All right, we're getting out and we're going to get on the ice, especially we're talking panfish now because walleye bites, you can have some amazing walleye bites early ice. But panfish, I've never had just a day where I'm like, this is amazing. I cannot believe we just did that. I actually last early-ish ice, I would say, was the best early ice I had. And me and uh, Gens and a couple of friends were on a lake up up north, and we absolutely smashed big crappies. And that was probably the best early bite I have had in a long, long time because I just don't expect much anymore because – you know, there's not a lot of ice. There's sound travels so far. I mean, just walking with ice cleats can spook them. So managing expectations, like you said, and, you know, realizing that part of the fun of early ice is just the excitement of getting out, you know, getting all your equipment out and getting ready and getting ready for the season. Yeah, so, dude. And, and, and then kind of digging into, you know, some of the tactical things, some of the strategy, some of the things that you feel like, you know, uh, you know, help you be more stealthy or help you sort of, you know, just maybe accomplish more in those early ice when it's a little bit tougher conditions to just be on a good bite, you know, whether those good bites are, you know, are there, they're just, it's, it's easier to spook fish it, you know, like you're, we're already talking about, I just want to build that picture up a little bit though. And like, yeah, it like, so early ice, I'm going to talk walleyes for a little bit here. Mainly because early ice walleye fishing is probably, well, it's one of the only times I really walleye fish in the winter anymore. But it's some of my favorite is, you know, from when you can first walk on basically until you can start getting machines out. And then, it, you know, those a lot of these bites die just from the traffic on the lake. But going out to some of these spots that I found in the fall or I just know it's a good break line that has fish, I will set up on those and I'll just, I'll sit there quietly you know i have tip up set up i'm not running huge lights on my fish house so it's bright i'm trying to have as little of an impact as possible um i'm kind of just hunkered down and waiting you know for that last two hours of daylight and into dark a little bit you, you just can't be hopping around too much because you'll spook the fish so that's one of the times when you know being mobile is not necessarily the best thing you kind of just want to sit there and wait them out and either you're going to catch them or you're not but you can have some really good days 
and and do you feel like any of your like setups, you know, just some of your preparation, just things that you think nope. about from an efficiency standpoint, but like, are you know, bait selection presentations, like like how deep does that can we get in that conversation? I mean, some of this stuff we're probably overthinking and you know maybe oh, overstating, 100%. but but it's a podcast, man. I love talking fishing. People do. love hearing about gear. Yeah, dude. That yeah, I'm a professional overthinker, so I'm definitely going to ask you the question and, and hope that you have something that we can chew on. So what's funny is I'm probably, I'm not going to say I'm an underthinker. I think the appropriate amount most of the time. I am a very simple man. I, If I'm going to go out walleye fishing for an evening, I'm going to have one little box with some rattle spoons, um, you know, some glide baits, whether it's a jig and wrap or a minnow or whatever, you know, these spoons from eighth to a quarter ounce, a couple of different colors and that's about all I'm going to have. I just, I don't, I don't overthink my tackle. I think a lot of it, people, people overthink their tackle selections and they constantly change baits and change baits and they don't end up catching anything where I'm more of a, this is my confidence bait, you know, which I would say is probably about an eighth ounce, you know, rattling blade spoon. It's just anything with rattles, whether it's green or red or pink, I don't really care. But just having one of those baits, I feel like if there's a fish there that wants to bite, I can generally coax it into biting with that bait. So I'll have people with me that, you know, they'll switch up baits all the time. But I'll pretty much throw a eighth ounce uh, rattling blade spoon or a five sixteenths ish size jig and wrap or tikka minnow. And those two lures are pretty much my my walleye baits, you know, tip up with a. Sometimes I'll put a blade or a, like a some sort of a little spoon on there just for flash, but I'm a super simple guy when it comes to ice fishing tackle. Um, I just, I have a fright and I can't bring it all with me. And one day I'm like, why am I trying to bring this stuff with anyways? I'm going to, I'm going to use two <laughs> spoons and I'm going to use one, one other bait maybe. You know, I just, I don't bring a lot of tackle with, unless it's something where I'm, I got the truck out there, then I can have everything right. But early ice, I'm trying to stay lightweight. I don't want to bring a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, man. Like, you know, I'll say this, like, you know, one thing that I like to ask, you know, just kind of trying to dig and get it, get in behind you know, the, the answer and get in behind some of that thought process even deeper, because I think that's where, you know, people start to relate to and think, hmm, yeah, maybe I'm that way too, or maybe I should be thinking that way too. Cause I, you know, getting into the confidence beats, having, having your, you know, a, a little smaller spectrum, but I want to talk about that confidence, like why it is a confidence bait. It's like, like, you know, like, like, how did you come to this? You know, what right. were some of the mistakes right. you made or what do you feel like was you did back when you were wasting time and you brought all these baits with you that you never, ever used? Like, you know, you know, how did you get to that point? Well, so the confidence, it, it's purely just comes from, uh, experience, right? I mean, you, you can't get confidence if you're not out there fishing and, um, you need to be okay with, you know, not doing well all the time either. Right. That's part of getting confidence is having enough days that kick your butt to make you realize that for one, there's going to be some days that they're just going to suck and there's nothing you can do to make the fish bite. It's just the way it is. Um, but then knowing that if there's fish there, you have enough confidence in your 
you know, bait selection and your jigging cadence that it's like, well, if I can't make it happen on this bait, working it this way, then I'm, I just can't make it happen today because, you know, that's your, your confidence. And if you only have an hour to figure it out, you know, cause a lot of our bite windows are really short. Sometimes you're better off just sticking with what you're confident in for that hour and hoping it works because more times than not, whatever you're confident in, you're going to catch fish on just because you're going to actually fish it enough to see how the fish react. Cause there's plenty of people they're changing baits and they haven't even had a fish look at their bait, you know? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. 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 Bait for we haven't even seen a fish yet. Yep. Oh yeah, you know? dude. I think I think I think you're absolutely preaching right now. I think people bells are going off like crazy right now. I think that's spot on, and especially when you're talking. You know, we, you know, we're still not even entirely narrowly focused on a species. No, you know, we're, we're talking walleyes. You know, you were talking walleyes earlier, but this stuff is so transferable, and I think it really speaks to like the fact that we don't have to constantly bring up a, a species that we're talking about. Speaks to you know you as an angler, where these are philosophies that help you be. Um, versatile, like we started talking about. As a fishing guide in your area, it's it. You have to be versatile. You have to be able to go from one thing to the other. So, so much of your strategy and philosophy. I mean, I take a ton away from this conversation. I absolutely will because you know, if this is something that works for somebody like you that is always changing, always fishing new species and all that, like this obviously is proven. Like this is obviously in your amount of experience going to work for me in probably a lot of scenarios, regardless of the species. So this definitely speaks to it, but I, I like, you know, it's almost like math. It's like, it's like a math uh, uh, equation where when, when there's a bite window of, you know, in bite windows, you know, morning, evening, it, it can happen. Like everybody understands a bite for window. Sure. There's probably no early ice bite uh, uh, for any species anywhere where it's like hot and heavy for six hours straight, right? Like bite windows are a conversation for everybody. And if you're building confidence in something, that is, I think, a very strong idea, a, a recommendation, you know, talking about just stick with something and figure out how to be versatile with it. And keeping it wet in the water is a huge part of that. Having it down and looked at by fish is a huge part of that. Having your line out of the water, uh, you know, tying something new on, um, you know, constantly, or even just switching rods and then it's 30, your rod locker is 30 yards away. So it's like you make that decision, but then you got to walk over there. Every time you walk on the ice, you're, you're, you're spooking fish potentially. Like, I mean, there's conditions out there that, you know, you just, just don't assume whatsoever that, um, you know, that you're, you're not doing anything. If you're moving around, if you're doing this, if you're doing that, if you're even shouting and talking loud, um, you can be, you know, like, <laughs> so ice I mean, cleats. yeah, ice cleats are one of the worst. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like ice cleats, so I don't crack my head open, but there's been many times where somebody walks towards me and the fish that are underneath me are gone, you know? Um, but then going, touching base with the forward facing again, you know, we're learning things about these fish. But part of it is, is I think there's a lot of fish that are out in the basins and stuff or even on weed flats that we didn't realize were there because they're just always moving. You know, they'd come in, we'd catch a couple and be like, where'd they go? Well, they were never sitting there. You know, there is fish that do that. But I think there's a lot of schools that you can try to chase them as much as you want and you just can't. 
because they're constantly moving. So whether it's us pushing them to move or they're just moving, sometimes you just have to drill out an area. Um, even in a basin, I've had it where you're going to, I'm going to drill 50, 75 holes. And now we got to sit here and wait. And I'm going to watch on the, on the live scope until, okay, they're coming back in our holes. Now we can start fishing again. Um, but the second you try to drill a hole, you spook them. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's it's, definitely it's a thing. Yeah, it is. It the fish behavior conversation is very interesting, but there's and and there's so many only so many things that we can control. We can't control everything and we're nope. not, and we're still not in any way shape or form understanding everything about these fish. Um but but we know now that there's some things that we can do uh or that we've been doing um yep. that uh you know, if we want to get better, we better start rethinking and it's like Man, you know, pre-drilling holes is definitely a good thing, um, but really just, you know, if you can hunker down, do the fall scouting. I love that portion of this yes, conversation. Fall scouting, you, fall scouting is going to put you a leg up on where the best weeds are going to be, and that's going to change year to year, um, you know, at times. And just finding out where the hard to soft bottom, you know, transitions are, like you said, and just trying yep. to kind of finding, narrowing down where that search is going to be and have it in mind too when you're out there fall fishing. Have ice fishing in mind. When you're right. looking, there's it's a lot like, of people that don't even think about that when they're in the boat. Yeah, because the fish might not be there that day. Correct. When you're fishing in open water, but you gotta be able to look at it and be like, "Hmm, this this could be an ice fishing spot." Right. Um, and um, and and yeah, definitely. You know, I think it's a really fun conversation. A lot of people that have a home body of water, or you know, maybe a couple of bodies of water in their neighborhood that they fish a lot. You know, that is a totally, it's a really fun thing, um, you know, to, you know, that sort of is sort of that year round fishing mindset and lifestyle that we all enjoy so much with our favorite hobby. It's like, you know, you just never stop thinking about other things or the next thing. And that's a, such a cool opportunity. And that'll put you, you know, on that bite potentially when you're picking out your first few outings. Uh, for this early ice time period, when somebody goes out there, it's like, well, you know, I'm going to go and check those waypoints that I got, you know, the, you know, that nice weeds or whatever. And then you go and you can drill 10 holes or five or whatever. You can just do, make a setup and already kind of be somewhere that's going to give you that high percentage and then just really bear down, be nice and stealthy. Um, you know, nothing evasive. I mean, thin ice, no snow cover. I mean, these fish understand their environment so much more than we do, and they know we're there if we give them that opportunity. Anything else like, yeah, I don't know, maybe a gear recommendation, something you're excited yeah. about. Um, any Anything else that we could For tack sure. on to the end of this and just kind of have a well, few-minute closer? Yeah, so just to touch base again on, um, you know, the, the fall scouting is, is also focus on those suspended fish because a lot of lakes, especially around here, it's basically a basin bite all winter long. And most of these lakes will have fish there in the fall. So right don't be on. afraid to go find them right now or earlier and get ready to catch them soon. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, other than that, you know, I'm, I, as far as my tackle, I told you I'm a simple man. Uh, as for panfish, I'm pretty much going to use a pinhead minnow, the clam pinhead pro. Um, and then like a drop kick and some maggots or a plastic. I would say most of the time now, 
I'm pretty much using that pinhead because I have so much confidence in that bait that if there is crappies nearby, I will catch those crappies. And if I can't, I'm going to go to a different lake because they should be eating it. Um, so, you know, that's another thing. Don't be afraid to hit several lakes, especially early ice, because it can be really hard to find fish early ice, especially within walking distance. Um, but don't be, don't get discouraged when you go to a lake and you don't catch fish to where you don't go back later, because there's a lot of lakes that set up, you know, a little bit later into the winter and they actually get better. I don't know why it's just the way it is, but, um, yeah. So get out there, have fun, have some realistic expectations and drill holes. Yeah. Drill dude. holes, lots of holes. Yeah. And have fun. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah cause exactly. it, like you said, it's such an anticipated time of year. Like, 100%. You know, so it's, it's like, if you just go out and get anything going on, like if you have yes. a decent day or if you go out and you take a shot at a brand new body of water that you've never been on, just to have that sort of adventurous experience. Yes. If you get anything going on, it's, it's fun and it's worth it. And yeah, yes. it's a blessing. And, um, and yeah, we're just lucky that, um, uh, you know, things are freezing up right now. Um, you know, decently. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, everything it's, it, it's, it's cold and, well. and we're going to get a nice base of ice and in, in some way, shape or form, um, before too much snow falls. And, and then we'll just see how the winter goes. Um, yeah, you know, maybe, sure. maybe, uh, you know, I mean, we all know what happens when we get dumped on with snow, but as of right now, it looks like we're going to have some nice, clean, good, clear ice, um, yep. to fish on. Uh, here shortly and uh, you know that's gonna be a, a it will take advantage of it for as long as we can and people will be able to be mobile and and then um, you know just see how things go man but uh, but yeah other than that dude promote yourself we can sign off here promote your business how people can get in touch with you if they have any yeah. questions or anything like that um, and uh, you know any any feedback or whatever go ahead yeah so um, if you're looking for me either go my website at mkfishingguideservice.com or uh, find me on Instagram and Facebook, MK Fishing Guide Service. Um, other than that, phone number is 320-260-5494. Feel free to call and ask questions. That's it, man. Matt Klug. All right, man. Sounds good. Well, you have a good one. <laughs>